talk, let's talk about the, the five traits of a successful coach. Mm-hmm. What most would do is pull out five things inside the industry domain. Yep. And they would go, well, you got to know offense. You got to know defense. You got to know special teams. You got to know how to how to um, recruit players. And you got to know how to um, uh, manage the salary cap. Mm-hmm. Like that's what people would start with. My contention is all of those things live underneath just that 20% of relative domain expertise. Mm-hmm. The other 80% are transferable across all fields. We are here because we know the outcomes in our lives are within our control. That taking absolute ownership of how we eat, sleep, train, think, and connect with each other is how we'll optimize our health and happiness. That chasing excellence is how we grab hold of what is possible. Our mission is to live on the run, always chasing, never stopping. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Chasing Excellence. How are you, Ben? Good. Thanks, Patrick. How are you doing? I'm great. I'm great. We, in a recent, in a recent episode, it was a, th- I'm pretty sure it was a three by three. We were talking about lessons that, um, you learned the hard way and, and your answer wasn't exactly this, but I want to kind of use that as a bridge to what we're going to talk about today. You talked about one of the things you had learned relatively recently is the power and the value of having a coach, right? And, and in your context, you were, I think you were, you were talking specifically about a, a business coach or an executive coach or something along those lines. Yep. And so I want to, I want to, I kind of want to use that as an excuse to get into a conversation about, well, what does a good coach, well, what does it actually mean to be a good coach? What are the, Ooh, what are the, yeah. what are the characteristics of an effective, valuable coach? And so I know that you've thought about this a lot. And so I'd like to just kind of walk down the road to figure out, can we break down the, those characteristics so that maybe we can, those of us who are in a coaching position and I include myself in that, so we can kind of say, okay, where am I on maybe each one of these these traits, these metrics, and how can I get better at each one of those? Um, and so, you know, yeah. given that, where would you start in describing and laying out what um, what a good coach, what, what kind of tools a good coach has? Okay, um, yeah, it's a great question. Um, there's there's a few, and I think like any sort of thing, when you lay these things out, um, one by themselves doesn't. You, you can't go like it's it's across. You need the 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 magnitude across all of these to kind of be a great coach. But I love what you just said. Is there is like we can kind of use these as measuring sticks to see where our strengths and weaknesses lie in each of these different um, categories, if you want to call them that. Yep. So yep. the first one to me is um, enthusiasm. So. Mm. Especially like, so my world, my profession is CrossFit coaching. So if I'm, if I'm taking a class led by a coach and they are not enthusiastic about what they are doing right away, I'm disconnecting like right away. I'm not that into it. Now, the flip side of that is if somebody is, if you can tell like someone loves what they are doing, they believe in what they're saying. They are excited to be there. You can tell that this is their best hour of the day right away. Like you're kind of captivated. It creates, it is the first step to creating buy-in mm-hmm. and all of coaching to me, like the number one thing, and this is coaching, teaching, basically any relationship is how are, the level of trust that you are establishing and call, call it trust, call it buy-in, whatever you want to. But as I say something, how much second guessing is going through your head before you're like, yep, I'll give that a shot. Yep. And great coaches, none of that comes through their head. They're like, coach, tell me what to do. Co- co- like, tell me what to do. And I'm in. Like, that's 
that's a sign of a great coach that had people that you want to like, they say, you say jump and they say how high that's, mm-hmm. that's what we're looking for. Bad coaches go like, uh, you know, um, I think you, you're squatting or, um, um, you need to get your weight back more on your heels. And the thing that's going back through the person's head is like, who the fuck is this guy? Like, what does he <laughs> say? What does he know? Like, yeah. that's not like, that's lack of buy-in. And to me, the number one thing is like you loving what you do. If, if you're leading a locker room, if you're leading someone to one-on-one, if you're leading a second grade classroom and you don't love it, I promise you're not gonna get the buy-in from the people on the other side. So to me, your enthusiasm level, the level that you, um, the excitement that you bring to your job, the, um, um, this is what causes people to be inspired. This is what people gets, cause people to go above their own comfort zones. This is what creates the buy-in. To me, this is like almost the first place. And I'm not saying you have to be entertaining. Like Bill yeah. Belichick isn't entertaining. <laughs> yep. But he is an enthusiastic coach. He is, you know, he is 100% yep. bought in to that meeting. He is 100% present at that a practice. He is. He wants nothing more, and he wants then to be a um, the best coach at that moment. And he would rather be nowhere else. Like he is mm-hmm. so he is bought in. So everyone around him gets bought in. So that might be the first place I would. I don't even know if I want to say first place. Let's not say these are in order. Okay. That is one of the tenets. That is yeah. one of the tenets of a successful coach. Yeah, I was um, when you were saying that. I, I was, and you, you you answered it, but I was wondering where the line was between enthusiastic and you know a cheerleader cheerleader in the sense that we've talked about before the the level of uh, layer of, or levels of coaches, right? But I think you answered so, it. But... Oh, actually, I would I would actually um, uh, add on to that or put a caveat to it too. If it's fake enthusiasm, that's mm-hmm. the that's the worst thing you can do. Yep. So there are some um, some. Like football coaches could be the worst in this, where it's just all raw, raw. Yep. It's just all fake, um, pumped up, and that doesn't that that's gonna fall on deaf ears. It ha- it's got to be real, like, and you can't fake the funk. That's just like mm-hmm. this is not something that people are going to see right through it. If not today, they will tomorrow, and but but they will also see the real, true enthusiasm if it's there. Agreed. Okay. Enthusiasm. What's number, um, what's, what's a second one, if not, not the second one, but a yeah, second right. one. Yeah, right. What is a second one? I like that. <laughs> uh, would be, um, curiosity. Mm. And this came, this, um, I, I didn't know how to put words to this. And the, my gym manager actually put, um, put this word in my head and said, um, this is something that you do very, very well saying like, they were kind of saying like, um, this is something that you bring to your job, Ben, that I think that it's hard to teach and it's hard to expect from everybody, but it truly is a differentiator that you can see over the long run is people that are so interested in becoming better. Mm. And this is weird because most people talk about coaching in terms of like, how do you make other people better? To me, this starts with the curiosity of how do I become a better coach? That's yes. what it starts with. Yep. And that's a, it's a, it's a, it's a double boon that you get out of it. As you become a better coach, everyone on the receiving end becomes, gets the, the downstream, the cascading effects of you becoming a better coach. Mm-hmm. But it really starts with your own disciplined pursuit of betterments. 
you become better at your craft. You becoming better at how you engage with people. This curiosity of like you wanting feedback because understanding that feedback is the shortcut to your your betterment. It's it's the the mechanism. You are actually looking for critical um, critiques and feedback and realizing that this is how I get better. Um, it is what you are asking for all from all of your athletes, students, um, whoever it is that you are coaching. Mm-hmm. It's what you're asking of them. You want inside of yourself. It's you becoming coachable yourself mm-hmm. and realizing you, maybe you could call this humility, but I think curiosity is a better word. You realizing you don't have all the answers. You haven't arrived on greatness's door. You are not the bee's knees. There is always room for betterment and for you to be able to dive deep into that in a intellectual curiosity thing, not a self-demeaning, woe is me, I haven't made it yet, I suck in self-defeatist attitude, but in a, um, just the opposite, in an empowering way, wow, there's still so much I can learn. I am I am not yet the novice, but I am, um, I am beyond the novice. Um, I might even be on the intermediate, but I realize that to become a true expert and a, a master of my craft, there is still so much I have yet to, to learn. And um, this to me, curiosity, I mean, it's across the board. It's not just coaching. Um, Maybe this is like five characteristics for any successful anything, Mm, but we we don't even need the coach word here. But but certainly in a coach where you are trying to ask people to be coachable and grow, we need to see that of yourself. The idea is like, you know, um, the saying is practice what you preach. I, it almost seems to make more sense that you should preach only what you practice. Mm-hmm. And if you're not willing to practice the humility and the learning aspect of this, call it growth mindset, curiosity, humility. If you're not seeking better in yourself, how can you expect that of your, uh, of anybody that on the receiving end of your coaching? Maybe an impossible question, but uh, just thinking about these first two that we've talked about enthusiasm and curiosity, do you feel like curiosity feeds enthusiasm or do you think that enthusiasm will feed the curiosity? In other words, if you had to say, let's start with one of these two, which would you probably, what would you wish for more? Because you think, okay, if you have enough of that, it'll, there'll be some natural momentum into the next. Okay. So, um, ranking, this is, I just listened to this podcast where this guy actually went into this incredible explanation of how ranking is not a real thing. Mm. Um, ranking is based off of like computer science where you have Mm. to give binary things. If you press this, this happens. And because we are living organisms that live in a non-predictable environment, that ranking systems actually does not matter. It's just things that people are looking to do, which is like so eye-popping because I want to rank everything. Um, (laughs) So that's a tangent off of this, but yep. I will still rank it for you if you like. <laughs> um, um, I, I think it depends on the individual. Yeah. I think that everyone is predisposed for one or the other of these two things. I think that some people are just incredibly excited to be doing what they're doing. And that excitement level, this was probably, I don't know which of me, yeah. Um, but some people, because I'm thinking about people on my staff. Some people are just so excited to be coaching that that's like, okay, this is amazing. I love this. this is so good. Like, what can I do to get better at this? Mm-hmm. And other people go like, hmm, this is what I'm going to be doing. Like, what can I do to get better at this? And as they get mm-hmm. better at it, they enjoy it more. Yep. So I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a ranking system. I think it's a 
which is always with everything. It's a, it's a depends and it's individual specific case studies of one. And I do think that there's massive overlap between the two of them. And you could enter this um, in equal parallels, which is probably where I came in. I, mm. I, um, I was so excited to be doing what I was doing, but I was also so curious about how to do this thing better. Um, and I can't say I was really one more than the other. Um, Maybe as we go through the all five of these things, then I'll try to like figure out where where I where I rank myself in these things. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. All right. Let's move on to a third one. We've got enthusiasm, curiosity. What's what's after that, or what's next? Uh, I'll call it, for lack of a better term, I'm going to call it empathy. But I don't like that word because it sounds so soft and it's such a buzzword these days. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I really mean by there is um, ability to connect with people. So I wish mm-hmm. that there was a single word that that. Um, Maybe you could help me out with that. A single word besides empathy and besides connection, but it's it's really the ability to connect with people. Mm-hmm. So maybe emotional intelligence, EQ, people smarts. Um, uh, I don't know. Yeah. Um, yep. But here's the deal is like, this to me is like also again, like if you can't, if you can't take the time, if you don't have the skill set, if you don't have the ability to see where, Either the individual, the team, the class, the organization where the customer is coming from, you can't speak to them. You can't meet them where they are. There's going to be a massive gap between what you're trying to say and the way that they're interpreting it because what you say is not what they're hearing. What we need to do is figure out what are they hearing and what are they – what what are they coming to the table with? I'm not gonna call it baggage because it might be amazing stuff. It might mm-hmm. be these great experiences. Yep. And if you truly, maybe it's understanding, maybe that's the word. If you truly understand the other side, uh, then what we can do, because all coaching is, again, is trying to get people to be the best, better than they could be without you. That's basically mm-hmm. what a coach is trying to do. And now it's people, organizations, teams, whatever it is. Get them to, to places they could not go without you. So teams have certain levels of talents on individuals and they have certain relationships that are bonded between the two of those. As you enhance the abilities of individuals and you enhance the relationships of the team, those um, connection points create better results than would otherwise be present. That's what a good coach does. Phil Jackson inherited a really talented Michael Jordan. Until he got Michael Jordan to play the leadership role, not the high production person, so not be a producer, be a leader, the Bulls were always going to be this 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 um, contender, but never the 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 dynasty that they became when Michael Jordan went like, I get it. My job is to make everyone else better. Mm-hmm. That's Phil Jackson did that. That's a great coach. Yes, he inherited a, a once-in-a-lifetime talent, but had he not shifted Jordan's um, mindset, his paradigm, or what it means to be an elite performer, they might have never won a championship and certainly not multiples. So that's the that's what great coaches do. Now, the only way he can do that is by talking to Michael in the terms that Michael wanted to hear. Michael wanted nothing more than to win. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he enjoyed being the MVP and yes, he enjoyed being the high scorer, but he was willing to sacrifice those things for being a winner. Like he was mm-hmm. the ultimate competitor and he wanted to be on winning teams. Once Phil put it through that prism, listen, listen if you – if you want to win, and I know you do, we got to step away from you trying to win, getting the scoring title. And Michael was like, 
yeah, tell me what to do. What do we need to do to win? And all of a sudden, like he got to Michael to where neither of the other two coaches that came before Phil Jackson were able to do. So it's this ability to connect with people, see where they're coming from, what are their motives, what is their history, how are they hearing you, what type of learner are they, what type of quote unquote love languages do they speak, yep. what are their quote unquote Myers-Briggs personality tests, like whatever it is you want to use to put people in buckets or understand them, all of that brings more power for you to how to speak to them. One of the best resources I've come across for this is um, the FBI, the former FBI hostage negotiator, Chris Voss, who wrote that incredible book, Never Split the Difference. Mm -hmm. His whole idea in how to um, handle hostage negotiations, it's not about bullying. It's not about, it's not about the, 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 the tactics of negotiating prices. It's how to get the other person to feel like they're being listened to. Mm -hmm. And once the other person feels like they've been listened to, they're open to almost anything. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Got it. Uh, I do think empathy is probably, it, that's probably the best word for we're what settling you just on described. Empathy. I got yeah, it. I, I can't think cool. of a better one, but okay. Okay, so if, if we're gonna use empathy, before we do that then, I think we have yeah. to decide, uh, we have to, um, uh, put a descriptor behind empathy and sympathy. Cause I think people get those yeah. two things confused. Yep. Sympathy is, um, I hear you, I feel bad for you. That's what sympathy is. Empathy is, I hear you, I feel you, let me help walk through this with you. Mm -hmm. So um, Brene Brown, I think I've described this before on the podcast, but it's worth reiterating because I think it's such a powerful descriptor between the two. Brene Brown described this the best I've ever heard it. And maybe she stole from somebody, but um, sympathy is you looking over the well when somebody falls in a well and going, oh my gosh, I feel so bad for you. Mm -hmm. I'll come back and check tomorrow. Like that's sympathy. Like, whereas um, empathy is, oh my gosh, that is terrible. Let me crawl down in the well with you. We'll kind of figure this thing out together about how to crawl back up out of this thing together. And now you're feeling this, you're meeting them where they are. Sympathy is like understanding that someone else is in pain or understanding where someone else is. Empathy is actually truly meeting them where they are. It's not, I'm over here and you're over there and I feel bad for you for being over there. It is, I'm gonna find a way to meet you where you are. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Enthusiasm, curiosity, empathy. What's next? Um, so I'm going to call this presence. Mm -hmm. Maybe you can help me find a better word, but to me, it's the ability to command. And that's not command in terms of like a, a general or militaristic or a, um, domineering way, but it is, if you're a coach and you can't hold the locker room, like you, it's about, it's a being a presenter. It's yeah. about being in, it's, it's, there's, there's overlap for sure between enthusiasm and the curiosity and the ability to connect. But this is truly like, um, again, it doesn't have to be boisterous. It doesn't have to be entertaining. Cause I promise you, Bill Belichick, when he gets in front of the team, he talks in his semi monotone, <laughs> but people yeah. are on the edges of their seat. They are they are waiting on every single word that comes out of his mouth with bated breath. They are so engaged and he holds the room so incredibly well. I mean, he does it in his press conferences, even though it's not the way I would go about doing it. Yep. 
But if you want to be a great coach, you need that presence. You need that ability to get people to be captivated by you. If you're trying to get them to connect with you, to get them to understand where you're coming from, you're trying to meet them where they are, but they're off thinking about something else and you can't hold their attention, you're missing a massive point, a massive aspect of what makes a successful coach. Mm-hmm. So call it ability to connect, call it uh, command of a room, call it group management, call it presence, whatever it might be. But it's that aspect of um, may it's being may it's captivating. You can help me fill in the word of what that is. Um, I think it's I think it's a overlooked aspect of coaching, um, but one of the more powerful ones. If you can own a room. When you walk in, the the everyone in the everyone kind of it's not from an intimidation factor. It could be as an incitement factor. But when you walk in, people are kind of like, I can't wait to hear what he has to say. Mm-hmm. That to me is so powerful. Is what would you call it? Uh, well, I don't know if I'd call it this, but I kind of want to get a, a clarifier from you. Is confidence the same thing as presence to you? Because to me, I hear confidence, but I don't know if that's exactly uh, right. No, because I don't think it need to be. No, because I think you could be incredibly vulnerable mm. and vulnerable might be on the other end of confidence or people might say, maybe you need to be confident to be vulnerable. Yeah. But what I mean by that is like, you could go like, guys, I have no idea how to do this. Mm-hmm. Like to me, I, maybe, that's the, maybe that's the highest level of confidence. So maybe it is. Yeah. But to me, it's not like, this is what we're doing. We're taking the beach. We're going to storm it. We're going to like, we're going to take the enemy. We're going to flank them. We're going to do X, Y, and Z. We're going to run a zone. We're going to go, we're going to have a massive air attack. It's, you don't need to have that. And follow me, gentlemen, because I know the way. It mm-hmm. doesn't have to be that at all. It could very, very easily be, um, here's the situation, guys. I don't know how to handle this thing. Mm-hmm. I would love to hear what your thoughts are on this. And that, I don't know if that's the highest level of confidence or that's no confidence, but it certainly can be engaging. Yeah. Yeah. In some ways, I guess maybe confidence is it is or can or should be internal and presence is maybe external. So presence is what another person feels or responds to and confidence might be what creates that presence that that allows you to be to have the presence that you're talking about. Yeah, I think that that's probably so I kind of like that actually. So, yeah, let's call it confidence because if you are confident, you actually truly have no fear of being vulnerable. Mm-hmm. That's the ultimate for, that's the ultimate form of confidence. Um I'm a, I'm willing to expose my weak points because I am so confident that I will not be hurt by doing this. Um and it allows you here's what here's what it really is. This is um with I'm actually just kind of formulating this in real time, but what what I mean by this is we are all in search and we reward and we are captivated by watching people in a flow state. Hmm. So it's can you be in a flow state in the presence of others while doing your while while working on while doing your job? Mm-hmm. That's essentially what this is. Now, to your point, you can't be in a flow state unless you are confident. Yep. So Maybe it is confidence. And if you are confident, it allows you to go into a flow state. So a flow state means you are just so engrossed in the moment. Like there is nothing else. It's just this. And when you are watching somebody, whether it's a comedian, an athlete, or someone in a boardroom in a flow state, you can't pull your eyes off of them. We are so in awe of flow. 
Mm-hmm. When an athlete is doing it and it's just, everything is just kind of like greatness is oozing out of them. We are so drawn to that. When an improv comedian is doing it or a, um, a um, what do we call uh, a freestyle rapper mm-hmm. is just kind of like in flow state and it's just coming out. You can't pull, you can't pull away from it. Yeah. Even if you're not a fan of rap, it's like, whoa, yeah, this is amazing. It. It's so, it's like, it's, it, it's, it's just so captivating. You're so drawn to it. And that's a big part to me of what coaching is, getting people to get drawn towards you. Now, this isn't putting you at the center. You are not the hero of the journey. So there's this weird dichotomy. There's this catch 22 of the whole thing. If you're positioning yourself as the hero, um, you are automatically going to be pushing people away because everyone else wants to be the hero of their own journeys. So it has to be this this, um, equal blend of flow and confidence while um, highlighting the others around you. Yeah. Went back to that, back to the empathy idea, right? Having the right mix of confidence and empathy, right? will 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 produce the result that you hope for. Okay. Enthusiasm, curiosity, empathy, confidence, or presence. I think you said we've got five. So what's the, what's the fifth? Uh, it is, (laughs) it is probably the one that everyone just defaulted to it for the first one. Actually. So it's, um, domain expertise. So if you're going to be a CrossFit coach, you got to know CrossFit. If you're going to be um, a strategic coach, you need to know strategy. If you're going to be a um, a math coach, you need to know math. So if you're going to be a football coach, you need to know football. Mm-hmm. Like, again, you can't fake the funk there and people are going to gravitate towards excellence and expertise in that. Now, it only needs to be domain specific. You do not need to be an expert in anything. This is modal specific, it's domain specific. Like, you don't even... so. Inside of business, there is a thousand different um, things that you could be an expert in. But if you want to be a successful coach, you need to be knowledgeable in your field. Now, there's also this other kind of thing, which is called like relative expertise. Mm. And that is um, understanding where you are on the spectrum of your own journey towards uh, mastery. And I kind of alluded to this in the beginning, but at the beginning, there is this Everyone understands that every novice understands that they're a novice. No one's kind of pretending that they're not. So if um, it's easy to like, if I was to go hang gliding, I'm not going to pretend to be an expert. <laughs> like I know I'm a novice. I am going to be a a learning machine. I am going to be a sponge. I know the massive gap between what I know and what I need to be able to do to execute this thing. Like. I am going to sit at your feet, master, and you tell me. My job is to learn. Mm-hmm. The danger becomes as you pass through this level of like um, past intermediate to um, advanced. And what happens is when we become advanced at something, we think that we are on the the, the we think we are on the cusp of mastery. Mm. And what happens is the gap between the skills and the knowledge that we actually have, based off of the the gap from what we don't know, is unknown. And because it's unknown, we think we know it all. And this is where relative expertise is massive because there are a lot of um, industry, uh, domain coaches that are not masters that think that they are Mm -hmm. because they don't know what they don't know. Mm -hmm. And, And once you cross that chasm, once you move past that gap, all of a sudden it becomes like, oh my God, Look at how much I, it's actually truly as you, the closer and closer you edge towards mastery, the more and more you realize what you do not know. 
it's kind of like Einstein or Stephen Hawking pulling back the the laws of relativity or physics or um, you know anything, and they go, "Oh my God, like." I know nothing. Like it's the beautiful <laughs> yeah. mind. Like it's this kind of like you open up, you open up another portal to where you are now again a novice at this new thing. And um, there's this danger zone of relative expertise that lives kind of at that uh, the advanced stage um, mm-hmm. as you get past intermediate and edge towards advanced. Um, but that's like, the kind of interesting thing here about these five categories is what most people would um, would do in terms of like talk. Let's talk about the the five traits of a successful coach. Mm-hmm. What most would do is pull out five things inside the industry domain, yep. and they would go, "Well, you got to know offense, you got to know defense, you got to know special teams, you got to know how to how to um, recruit players, and you got to know how to um, uh, manage the salary cap." Like that's what people would start with. My contention is all of those things live underneath just that 20% of relative domain expertise. Mm -hmm. The other 80% are transferable across all fields. So I don't care if you're a second grade teacher or you're an NFL coach. To me, the other four are totally transferable. And we kind of alluded to that when I said like, maybe this isn't for a coat. You know, it's like, it could be anything. Only that fifth one becomes, um, becomes the the industry specific thing, the actual thing you're coaching. Now we can also get into like all these like there's these there's I could kind of go into like all these other subsets. Now there what are the value systems that create a good like what are the like you know create how, what about creating culture and what about mm-hmm. you know integrity and what about like yes there are all, all these things but we'll keep it to the, this kind of like in a box right now, these five, five, I think you called them five traits of a successful yep. coach. Yep. All right. So wrapping up last question, maybe somebody listening to this, they're either, they want to be a coach, they are a coach. How maybe is there, is there a way that you would say, okay, here's how I want you to assess yourself across these five. Is, is it Ooh. possible or is it a gut feeling? Is it, cause I think the reason why we, lean towards the domain expertise is because there are at least some edges there. There are some like, yeah, it, right. it's, it's easier to see. It's easier to yeah, say. You could you actually know. take a test. You could take a test of exactly. your proficiency at football. Exactly. Like, That's yeah, right. it's a, someone like you pop up an offense, you go, what's the best appropriate defense to play against right. this? You could test yeah. it. I yeah. get it. And the others are, uh, are untestable or, or however you want to. Yeah. They're more like the intangibles. It. They're more like the soft skills, right? Yeah. They're, they're, which is why they get bypassed. Um, yep. you know, having said that, um, I think that you could. I think a peer review um, mm. would would help with um, help with this. So, and then some other ones like. So, if I was to watch a coach, it might, it, this would be a hard self assessment. It would be very hard for me, mm-hmm. like because everyone's gonna like, yeah, enthusiasm, yeah, I love what I do, and I'm and like curiosity, like. But looking from the outside, I think that somebody um, peer review um, wise could, could assess this fairly well, Mm. kind of not to go on a tangent with this, but we're revamping the way we review our coaches and Mm -hmm. we're going into, this could be its whole other podcast. Maybe we will do a podcast. We should do a podcast on this, which is the way we review our coaches. Now it used to be, um, based off the five kind of like skill sets of a, of a coach, which is weird that I didn't use those, but like presence, attitude, seeing, correcting, demoing, managing groups, all those type of things. We've now that is now sits inside some other categories. And the way we're doing this now is we're doing 33% of your review is a net promoter score from the end users, from nice. the athletes taking your class. Yep. Simple question. Yep. 
Um, I don't want to get into it because we'll save it for another podcast. Yep. The other part is the peer review, which is you are going to be ranked based off by your other coaches, the other people in the organization that you come in contact on a work on, in a work day. What do they think about you from a character standpoint? Mm-hmm. So now you have, what does your customers think about you? What does your peer think about you? And then the third one is a manager review. And the manager review is like truly the X's and O's of like, are you getting your work done? Are you doing it accurately? Are you doing it in a timely fashion? Are you pursuing excellence? Um, and are you doing it? Uh, um, you know, are you getting your kind of high level, um, uh, you know, we call them quarterly rocks, your keep your, your KPIs, your key performance indicators, those things kind of falling into place. Um, so that's, a, that's kind of like, I, I just think there's a lot of power in getting away from self-assessment. Self-assessment is super massively powerful. But th- what I've realized is there's a lot of power in getting um, more of a 360 degree approach. And what I don't mean by that is, what most people hear when they say 360 is I review you and then you review me. That's to me, it's like a 180. That's just like, mm-hmm. we're just going like this. What I want is all the pieces of the pie and everyone you come in contact with manager, customer, coworkers. So that's how we're managing people now. And that's how I think that you might be able to assess mm-hmm. how you're doing on this stuff. Love that. Yeah. Well, let's definitely have a conversation about that at some point. All right, my friend, that was super fun. Uh, Five characteristics or five traits of an effective coach. Thank you. Thank you to everybody out there listening. Of course, thank you for ratings and reviews and for sending us questions. And we'll be back next week for another episode of Chasing Excellence. You can get every episode of Chasing Excellence wherever you listen to your podcasts or on YouTube. Until next time, thank you for listening.